Welcome to the WFNY CornerCast, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at the Cleveland Guardians baseball team and farm system. Presented to you by the WaitingForNextYear.com network of podcasts. Here are Gerbs, Mitch, and Ethan. Hello and welcome to the WFNY CornerCast presented by the Evergreen Podcast Network and part of the Waiting for Next Year community. Uh, you will hear this August 19th, and I am your host, Joe Gerbs Gerberry, joined by Ethan and a special guest tonight, Justin Lotta from uh, Guardians Baseball Insider and Guardians of the Future podcast. Uh, Justin, we're very happy to have you. Uh, this is normally the part of the podcast, especially where I make fun of Ethan. Uh, we have dubbed him Farmer Ethan, despite the fact that he lives in an apartment in Columbus, because he is our resident uh, prospect guy. But uh, that's what you do, and so uh, I will try not. I will try to do my best to not make fun of Ethan tonight, since we're doing a prospect-heavy podcast. But uh, I feel all fancy that we have a guest, so I'm going to try to be in my best behavior. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? You know you don't have to hold back, and I know you don't want to. I don't want to, but I I will because I want to be polite. So. You can throw whatever you're going to throw at Ethan on me too. I can take it. I've been I've been doing this long enough at this point. I, I I've heard it all. I can I can handle any of it. It's good. Oh, yeah, I feel like we've just I feel like we've known each other on Twitter for a long time, but I've never once talked to you like in person or over like any kind of uh, podcast medium or anything like that. So it is uh, it is nice to have you on the podcast. I was thinking that earlier today, actually, when you were when you messaged me, I was like, man, we go back all the way to. Some fan-sided stuff, I think, from the days of, mm-hmm. of Manny Acta and all that. So it's yeah, it's been probably oh yeah, that's my that's my Wahoo's on Wahoo's on Wahoo's on first days. Wait, are when, we all Wahoo's on first veterans here? Oh, I forgot you I was did Wahoo's. Oh, that's great. It was a way back gone when I wrote for them, but yeah, that, that's where I came from before joining Waiting for Next Year. I was I was Wahoo's, and then I was. Uh, lost in the desert for a bit before uh, getting connected with uh, Jim Pete and uh, WFNY because he was here at the time. Uh, they had like WFNY had uh, swallowed up. Everybody hates Cleveland. And then they re broke off um, shortly after. So, but, uh, but yeah, so nice little, nice little fan sided uh, <laughs> reunion here. So um as always, guys, don't forget we have a, uh, a our breakingtea.com backslash WFNY. Uh, you can find all your Guardians gear on there. They just dropped a new shirt today. Uh, we actually had the preview of it yesterday on our Twitter account. Uh, the Andres Jimenez Captain Clutch. Uh, it's the Captain. There's no T-A-I in there. It's just the apostrophe. Uh, but uh, we are very big Andres fans. Uh, Everyday Andres has now turned into Captain Clutch. So make sure you head over to breakingtea.com backslash WFNY and uh, grab that fresh, new fresh Andres Jimenez Captain Clutch shirt. So uh, how are you guys doing? How do you guys feel about the team right now? We are the first place Gardos to use a term that Ken Carmen used, coined, and I absolutely love Gardos as it. I'm okay with guards, but Gardos just seems to be like it's one of those things where you you have a nickname that turns into another nickname. Like I'm Joseph, and Joe would just be my nickname, but now I'm just Gerbs, and that, because that's just where I am. I was a lot better before I heard the longer shorthand of Gardos. I, I think I'm gonna be pretty out on that one. No, Justin. How do you call whatever you want? Okay. Yeah, call whatever you want. They, if they get to first place and they play the way they have, then you can <laughs> you can call whatever they want. Just play baseball in October and, and keep putting the ball in play. It'll be fine. Absolutely. Uh, wanted to just real quick. Um, I don't know. I I saw. I remember Sarah Langs uh, posting a, t- a tweet about last night, Wednesday night's game. Uh, I don't know if you, if you haven't seen the highlights of it. Uh, check it. But um, the uh, the guards were uh, they struck out three guys in the eighth inning last night, and then uh, ended up proceeding to score six runs. 
So uh, I forget exactly how, how many times that has happened. I'm trying to look back in, in our Discord to see if I can find that uh, that stat there. But um, It was the first time since at least 1961, the start of the expansion era. Uh, Elias doesn't have data of that ever happening between 1961 and last night. Fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in case you don't know, because I have had friends ask me, you are able to strike out three batters in an inning and have the inning go on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was amazing to see the, uh, the, the batted ball luck go Cleveland's way for once as it has a lot of times this year, but most recently it has not. So, um, were you guys, did you guys stay up to watch the game or no? I went to bed because I work super early and have two toddlers and who sucked the life out of me. I went. I went to the game last night. You were at I the was game. There. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Oh, lucky. <laughs> did you? Yeah, my fiance's dad had tickets. <laughs> I, I have not left a game early. I don't think since 2011. It was a, uh, yeah, it was a Rays game, and I thought it was going to rain out. It didn't get rained out, so I just left because it rained. So I never left it on purpose. I cannot say that I watched last night's game. Last night was a, a personal anniversary for my fiance and I, so we spent the evening together. But I was paying attention on my phone and having unfortunately watched the game the night before. Last night was gut check time. How were the kindergartians, as I prefer to hear them called as a joke, going to rebound after, frankly, some of the worst officiating I think baseball has seen this season. I think all around. I mean, I don't agree with the, the call at home plate that Clement threw, or not Clement, my goodness, I'm I'm doing Tyler Freeman dirty, uh, that Freeman threw out at home. I think it was Javier Baez. Don't agree with that. The, the whole thing in the ninth inning with the third base umpire not paying attention to the play and having a ball thrown out right after Terry Francona was ejected after arguing with the umpire, I, I mean... That game was a mess, and still waiting to hear how much Austin Hedges got fined, deservedly so. I think his teammates will pick up the slack there. But, yeah, it, it was much needed. That was very much a ball-don't-lie kind of inning after the way the series had started. And it, it felt good to see that in the win column when I woke up. Yeah, I, en- I enjoy the uh, the their their official account going in on the we play an annoying style of baseball. Well, we're going to be annoying when we see, when you see us in the playoffs or something like that, or however they put it. But uh, that was, it was nice to see some fight from the, uh, from the official account. So. Yeah. Do we have to pay that one random Toronto fan royalties on that? Because I kind of dig it. I'm good with it. I'm good with being the annoying team. As long as we're winning, like, like Justin said, keeping the, keeping first place, you can be annoying. So. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, again, I wanted to introduce Justin uh, over at Guardians Baseball Insider. Um, Justin, why don't you tell us what you do for uh, GBI? Um, and uh, and then we have a, a couple questions, and we'll go over some prospects for you. Cool. Yeah, I've been uh, the editor and lead prospect writer going back to, let's see, 2019 I took over from Jake Dungan. So yeah, pretty much just run the site there and uh, you know keep everybody on on point with content and continue to evaluate prospects, go see games in person, and uh, generally just spend way too much time on Twitter and way too much time watching minor league baseball all summer long. I mean, there's worse things to do than watch minor league baseball all summer long. But uh, yeah, my my fiance loves it because she's a teacher, so she's done I, for the school year. Yeah, she's right. done for the school year in June, and I'm like, well, guess what? I have stuff going on now so now i'm busy right it's not great yeah i i would love to say that that's me but uh being a a tech guy at the school that i i am i work over the summer so uh i don't have those luxuries and and as i said before my uh my my toddlers suck the life out of me so i'm usually done by nine o'clock on a on a uh weeknight weekends are a little different but weeknights they get up at five so it's I'm, 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 I'm out after a while. So, um, I know you, uh, I know you Justin, get into a lot of the locker rooms and, and obviously stuff like that. So, um, 
for you guys, who is the favorite interview that you've done of any uh, former Indians prospects or now Guardians prospects? That's a great question. I I, I have to narrow it to one because that's super hard. It really you can give me a couple if you have a, if you have a couple. <laughs> I, I you are here to tell stories, my friend. That is what your uh, job is right now. So, um, gosh, the first one probably. It's either got to be Tristan McKenzie or Will Benson on his uh, four homer night. Will Benson's four homer night was was really fun because you know how LeBron James will you know do a press a press conference after a game and just kind of break down every play of the game if you ask him. And right. Will Benson kind of kind of did that for us the night he had four home runs. I mean, he broke down every at bat pitch by pitch, and I was like, wow, this is this is great stuff. And he was just so fun to talk to about it. And obviously, that's a a super rare occasion, and we got to I got to ride his coattails that night a little bit because. Uh, Lake County doesn't have video at home, which that's a, you know, a whole other podcast probably. But, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to get video that night and, and things worked out really good. But he was a great interview. Um, Tristan McKenzie, from the moment he stepped on the field there, I mean, I think it was his first start. It was just, you know, you could tell that kid was different. And and I think he was 19 and he, he spoke like he had been pitching and talking to media for, for 30 years. He was just an absolute pro. And uh, I could listen to him talk about baseball and pitching all day. Eli Morgan was a lot like that. Um, that was a really good one. And going all the way back to two that were way back when uh, was Bo Mills was actually the first prospect ever, ever interviewed. I was probably 18. He was probably, I don't know, 21, 22, picked out of college. And I had no idea what I was doing. And he was, he was really good. Cause that was like the first thing I ever did. And then I think the second interview I did was with a guy named, uh, Roman Pena, who the guy I was writing for at the time assigned me to interview and, and Roman Pena, little did we know, uh, spoke almost no English and I, I don't speak any Spanish cause I'm not that good. Um, so that was super fun going up and talking to a player who didn't, we didn't speak the same language and I'm just up there trying to get as much as I can out of this interview. And it was, it was a great learning experience for me. It was not fun, but it was, it was a good learning experience. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I, can have, I can only imagine trying to communicate the game of baseball through like hand signals or like just hit ball pitch, like you know how that would work. The only interview thing that I have um, when I started at WFNY, I actually was brought to the site as a Browns writer, despite the fact that I had almost only written baseball stuff. Um, but the the first uh, assignment that I had was covering Danny Salazar's rehab game at Mahoning Valley Scrappers. And because I'm, I live down here in uh, Mahoning, Columbiana County area. I was in Trouble County area at the time. So I got to go. I was just like crap in my pants the whole time. Cause I'd never been in a press box. I had never been in any of those things. I'm like texting my, it was my fiance at the time, but I'm like, I could do this, I could do this, and oh my god, and like all these things. And so I, when they uh, when they came back to get us to go uh, down to the locker room, uh, that was the 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 moment where Danny had actually like said, "Yeah, my shoulder has been hurting me all year. They tried moving me to the bullpen, and I thought it's going to pitch less. I ended up pitching more often, and it was the All Star break, so they didn't have any." handlers with them because they didn't they figured all the big like dot com mlb everybody was going to be on break well i was the only one like waiting for extra was the only like big news outlet that was there like the tribute chronicle chronicle was there but that's a war in paper um and so we we got like we got crap from the uh from the organization (laughs) because we got like news that they weren't really wanting to get out that Danny had been hurt like the whole, whole year basically. Um, and that was the, that was my one and only interview moment that I had with a player. And it was, uh, it was very, uh, it was very impactful for everyone involved. So. Yikes. That could be, that can be shell shocking. That's usually a good place to, to kind of get your feet wet. And then usually they've always, for my time down there, they had great people running that. So oh, in yeah. theory, that should have been an easy way for you to go. But then, yeah, that seems interesting. And never know how that might turn out when a player's rehabbing. Usually they're more tight. The players are more tight-lipped than that. Usually that's uh, 
that's a great way to get caught off guard your first night. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think Danny was, I think Danny was a little frustrated with the whole situation. And then, um, you know, asked him just like, Hey, have you, you know, when were you first feeling hurt and stuff like that? And yeah, he just kind of, kind of went into it. And so he, he was, uh, I, I think that, I'm not saying that was like the beginning of the end of or anything like that, but it was, it was that year where he was just really starting to tail off and, and they moved him to the pen and it obviously didn't work, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely something that I will not forget uh, being in the press box and getting that interview. So Ethan, have you had any interview moments or are we just talking over you now? I, my, my highlight of my interviewing career is actually I got to sit down and interview the members of Pitches Playing Ping Pong, which is a jam band from Southeast Ohio uh, when I was in college. I have not had the opportunity to cover any games live or be in a press box. I'm hoping to change that sometime in the not-so-distant future. But no, I, I do not have any of those experiences, and I'm jealous to hear that story, even though it sounds like uh, what happened in Mahoning could have been a fireable offense, according to the organization. Yeah, they they were. Uh, I I was I was but a but a cub reporter for us here, and uh, I think uh, Craig and or Scott got a little bit of flack for that. But I'm the one in charge now, so I don't have to worry about that. So if you ever get if you ever get an opportunity, then let me know, and I will try to pull whatever strings I can. So so I can I can say suck it, Craig, and suck it, Scott. Now, right? Like we're oh we're yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah, suck yeah, well, it, guys. Anyway, they don't care. Yeah, fine. jerks. I may tag him in this now, but he uh, he's definitely not going to listen. So, um, all right, moving on. Uh, the MLB.com dropped a new uh, pipeline rankings, uh, and the Guardians, I think they had, what, previously eight in the pipeline rankings? They only had five in this uh, new recent update. Um, those five, of course, Daniel Espino, George Valera, uh, Gavin Williams actually is uh, rocketing up the charts. Uh, Brian Rocchio and Bo Naylor uh, were the Guardians' top 100. Um, they do have they do break it down for the top 30 for the organization, um, and uh, using some fan graphs lingo, uh, they have a ranking there that is like future value. Uh, all uh, 29 of the 30 uh, players that the MLB.com were able to rank were 45 or better on the future value list. Uh, Ethan, do you want to break down what that list, what that, what that would mean uh, for those that may not be familiar with the future value rankings? Yeah. So baseball grades on what they call the 2080 scale, uh, the higher you are and it goes in increments of five typically, uh, the higher you are, the closer you are to 80. That skill is elite. Nobody's better than you at it, that kind of thing. And they do that for all kinds of different tools. For pitchers, they'll grade their individual pitches, the command, all of that. For batters, it's fielding, speed, uh, plate awareness, all that kind of thing. And I, for Cleveland, this is an incredible thing because when you get your composite score, typically guys who are ranked 40 to 45 in that range, it's saying that their ceiling is pretty much the equivalent of an everyday MLB regular. Maybe not all-star caliber players, but 29 of 30 players on Cleveland's top 30 prospect list are considered the floor of an MLB regular, which if that doesn't show you how deep that farm system is, it's absolutely incredible what they're doing from a talent identification, scouting, drafting, and now development side of things. We're, we're seeing something specifically from the, the bats and the young position players that we've not seen in close to a decade. Outside of Francisco Lindor, Michael Brantley, and Carlos Santana, they haven't developed players at this perceived clip in, in my lifetime. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 in this uh, in this new era, they seem to be really doing a great job of doing the player development and and identifying those players via draft or via trade, and and really uh, just developing the crap out of them. Uh, Justin, uh, is there anything that sticks out for you out of those, those out of those five? Uh, Daniel, uh, the Spino, Valera, Gavin Williams, Brian Rocchio, Bo Naylor. Um, 
I'm more interested in Gavin Williams. Is there anything that you have? Because you've, I, you, I know you go to, you're mostly at Lake County, but you have done uh, some acting games. Have you seen uh, a bunch of Gavin Williams or anything like that, or anything interesting out of those uh, those five? Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Yeah, I've seen Gavin a couple times this year uh, in Lake County and then once in Akron since he's been there, and then obviously a ton of video as well. Gavin's took off like a rocket in Lake County. He hasn't, I don't want to say he hasn't dominated the way in double A the way he did in high A, but. Um, probably missed a few less bats, but he's also really hard to make good contact against. So even if he's not missing a ton of bats, he's still not getting a lot of hard contact and uh, inducing a lot of pop-ups and, and guys just taking really bad swings off of him. Um, glad to see Bo Naylor reemerge back on the top 100. And, and this is not a, a pat on the back to myself because any, any idiot could have seen this. But, um, you know, Bo Naylor was – uh, 21 last year in double a, I think maybe he's 22 now. I, I can't remember his age exactly, but, um, catcher with great, with bloodlines, athleticism and, and really great makeup. I just felt like everybody who has fallen off on him last year was, was a year early and or a year premature doing that. And, you know, if he had had a, a tough year this year, I could see kind of fading him, but, um, I thought it was fair to give him the benefit of the doubt this year that he was going to rebound and become, the prospect we thought he was before because he's been young at every level. And then the team has challenged him with every assignment in, in his pro career so far. So I thought a lot of team, a lot of outlets were fading him a little bit too soon. And it looks like that uh, tends to be correct right now, thankfully for his sake and the organizations, obviously. Yeah. I mean, how many catchers do you know can lead off and steal 10, 15 bases in a season? Because that's what Bo's been doing this year down in triple a. And, you know, to, to his credit, it, it's kind of how the fan base goes. Everybody's fickle over the course of a 162-game season, right? Because you get impatient, the season gets long. And we're seeing it right now with how well the team's performing. There's a lot of extend everyone. Extend everyone that is breathing on this roster. It, it was the opposite last year. Bo had a down year. People were real quick to jump off of that ship. And you, you saw it through the first few months of the season, even in a microcosm with Brian Rocchio down in AA, who started really slow. But since June 15th has been absolutely on fire, and now people are back on the bandwagon. So for Bo to have one down year and for all of the national outlets to just completely abandon ship, yeah, I'm with you. That was definitely an overreaction for a, a guy a year or two young for his level. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, I, the stats are what they were, and... and... He's, you know, he obviously didn't have a great year, and you have to go off of what you see live and what you hear from people. But, and, and to, to be fair, Bo also had to make some changes over the winter. He did a lot of work with the player development group on his swing and, and everything else and his approach. And it's, it's kind of a new approach. But I don't know. I just think that that's the kind of, that's the kind of player and kind of athlete you bet on to, to make the adjustment at some point. And if he didn't this year, you know, like I said, then you fade him. But I don't know. You always bet on good athletes and you bet on guys with makeup and, character like Bo Naylor. So that was probably the biggest reason to give him, you know, the benefit of the doubt that he would turn it around. Character and Naylor seem to go along uh, pretty well there. So um, uh, I wanted to mention, and this is more of a uh, major league thing. When shortly after the trade deadline, Zach Meisel wrote a, uh, wrote his like recap basically of the, you know, myriad multiple inundating moves that uh the guardians did the one trade 
um, and mentioned that the athletics seemed to be, he name dropped Gavin Williams, that they were offering, that they were interested in Gavin Williams. So, and, and at a time it caught me that it was like Williams moving up the list to being a almost untouchable for the organization. It was seemed interesting to me. Um, we, we joke a lot about having, uh, a love affair with uh, Sean, we call him Cake Murphy, uh, for reasons that are obvious if you have seen the GIF, as I'm sure you have. Um, but so I, I get to do the uh, the check now. We get to we get to drink. We have said we have uh, mentioned the name Sean Murphy today. Um, but uh, so, um, do you think Gavin Williams has that type of pedigree to be? one untouchable and two be mentioned in the idea of a Sean Murphy trade. I don't know that you can really consider any, I mean, I hate to get you know technical and give you a dry answer, but I don't no, know if you absolutely. can consider any prospect untouchable. I mean, I think it all depends on what you're getting back and especially for this organization with pitching. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there are certain guys that you really want to hang on to that have, you know, incredible levels of talent like a Daniel Spino and, and Gavin Williams is, is right up there. But um, I think you also feel this organization should also feel confident that no matter what pitcher they might trade, they're going to develop more. I mean, there there's guys in the, in the, I'm sure we'll get to, we, we won't might not even get to that, you know, could impact the rotation next season that they could go ahead and trade because they've got more behind them and, and vice versa. So I don't know if you can really have to worry about too much about pitchers being um, untouchable. I will say Williams does have a short track record of how good he's been. You know, things didn't really start to click for him until his last year in college when he really flew up the boards. And, uh, you know, it's it's only been one year so far and, and things have been just fine. So, yeah, I mean, I think Mur- I think he's fair to mention in a Sean Murphy trade. I think my only drawback of that is that yeah, you you can do that and get a Sean Murphy, but I wonder how much do you really want to give up of your farm system for that guy when you have Bo Naylor? Like, it's fine to trade for him, obviously, but, like, if you have a guy coming, how desperate are you to unload pieces of your system to to bring a guy? And that's like that's like the, this team trading anything for a starting pitcher because, you know, obviously the rotation's not as great as it once was right now, but it has the potential to be in the future with all these prospects. So why... Why waste valuable resources and, and prospects in your system on a trade for a position that you have possibly coming development-wise? Not, that's not to say Murphy and Naylor couldn't stick as a tandem. That's great. But, yeah, I don't know. Right. I think maybe it's it's a weird fit how much you'd have to give up uh, to get him and, and pair him with a guy you might already have developed successfully. Right. Yeah, I think the, um, Sean, uh, I think the Bo Naylor development – greatly affected the Sean Murphy uh, acquisition trail. Um, and, and I 100% agree with you. And, and it kind of came into fruition, and not until that I, I read that thing from Zach, that you probably view Sean Murphy as a part-time player in 2023. So why are you trading a Gavin Williams or a Daniel Espino or you know one of your higher-end prospects for a guy who's going to play you know, two thirds of your games next year. You know, if you think Bo Naylor is going to be that good and, and the organization has every reason to believe that he is because they've seen every part of his development at this point in time. So yeah, I, as much as we all uh, here wanted uh, Sean on the, on the roster and, and the control and everything seemed to make sense. Um, you know, if you have, if you have Bo Naylor in your hand, why are you going into the bush to try to find a Sean Murphy? So, um, yeah, I definitely, I'm, I, I agree with you on that. So, um, Ethan, anything else on the pipeline guys here or, or can we, uh, move forward? I think we can keep going the, the top five guys, uh, privately and on this pod, we have discussed these top five very, very thoroughly and not trying to understate how fantastic they have been, but. I think you guys are sick of hearing us talk about them. Yeah, uh, I am good to move on because there are guys that I know you have seen and talked to, Justin, that I am I am very interested in because, uh, again, 
my time is uh, is is not is precious after my after I get my girls to sleep, so I don't get to dig in as much as uh, Farmer Ethan does. But um, I was more interested in wanting to know about um, Tanner Bybee um, flying up the charts just as much as Gavin Williams, uh, ranked eighth in Cleveland's organization chart. Um, added a whole bunch of velo to his uh, portfolio here, his repertoire, if you will. Um, what, it, how is he getting it? Is it, is it coming at cost of his command? Um, it doesn't seem to be, and it seems to, I, you know, you hate to, you hate to put comps on it, but this seems to be an almost Shane Bieber-esque uh, rise here with the command and the, uh, the velocity. Uh, what is Tanner uh, Bybee doing in Akron that is uh, causing him to, to be so highly regarded by uh, those who make these sorts of lists? Yeah, he's he's been a lot of fun to watch this year. He, uh, first of all, Shane Bieber never hit 99, so that's that's another fun development for, for Bybee is, you know, Bybee's at 99 this year, mostly uh, 95, 96, and 98 a couple times. So he can, he's right around the mid-90s that can scrape the upper levels of it, which is good i mean it, it's funny he was yeah he was like a, a 90 93 guy in college chopped out at 95 and that's like okay that's great that's a you know a fringe major like fastball and i asked him when he was in lake county i was like where where did this come from and he goes yeah i just trained to throw harder like i just decided or we just decided that i needed to throw harder and he he trained he said trained to be explosive trained to throw the living heck out of the ball and that's what he's been doing i mean he's he's a grunter if you ever hear if you when you get the chance at some point you'll get to either watch him in a minor league game or maybe in Cleveland, who knows? Um, he's loud. He grunts. He puts a lot of effort into it. But, yeah, none of it's at the cost of his control. It doesn't walk a lot of guys. He's right around the plate, which is which is really good. And, um, yeah, it's three, maybe four quality offerings. I mean, the slider's getting there. The changeup, I think, is a swing and miss pitch to lefties. The curveball's kind of a, you know, it's, it's a good pitch. Can definitely steal strikes. But, yeah, you're talking about a guy who's got um, at least – fringe average or, or maybe even above average stuff. And his fastball, as long as he locates it, I mean, he, he will give up the occasional home run just because he's around the plate a lot, even with the velocity. But he locates that fastball. It, it is hard to square up unless he misses because of the angle it comes in at. So everything just looks like it's right there for him. The stuff is there. The control's there. The the type of worker he is, the kind of person he is, everything's is right there. I think there's a lot of upside there, and it's going to be it's, – it's coming quick. He's – I don't think he's far from being, you know, ready for a shot. I don't know if that's going to be this year or next year because of the log jam they have. But yeah, he looks like the real deal. Yeah, we, yeah we've, we've been calling it the, the rotation of death, <laughs> the rotation of death <laughs> down in Akron. That that's not unfair, but much like we've been talking about the position player development this year, Cleveland absolutely has a blueprint with their pitchers as well. You know, it seems like almost every guy they call up throws fastball, slider, curveball change. It's something that their player development staff works well with and seems to be that everybody that they get in their system that works on those four pitches thrives. But I, I have to follow up on that and ask you, how bad was the feedback when a thousand pitchers across baseball just groaned when you said out loud that a guy just said, yeah, I'm, I decided that I needed to throw harder and then went from 93 to 99? <laughs> I know. It's, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, they had to have like, you know, seen something in this delivery and they fixed it and all of a sudden he's throwing harder because that's that's happened before. Where they just have taken guys in college who just had like a, a weird thing in their delivery and they fixed it or got him to change this and all of a sudden he's throwing harder. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they did adjust his delivery a little. That's a little bit different than it was in college. But yeah, literally his answer was just, you know, yeah, I, I trained to throw harder. Now I am like it was. <laughs> I guess it, it just doesn't seem like there's enough. Simple. It, yeah, it doesn't seem like there's enough long toss in the world that you could humanly do that in one off season you raise your velo six miles per hour. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's it has anything to do with throwing for him. I think it was. This is a lot of like weights. I know he talked about adding some some strength, so that was a big thing. And I think it's flexibility and movement too. So it's a lot of athletic stuff. Just getting getting his body into positions to. Um, you know, maximize some areas as mechanics, but just, you know, he wanted to go out there and he literally wanted to train his body to, to be explosive is what he said. I trained to be explosive so I can throw hard and, you know, that's the fine ways to get your body ready to do that. And 
you know, it, it's amazing over the course of one off season that he pretty much put that into, I mean, pitching is all muscle. All, baseball is all muscle memory, you know, and um, for his body to adapt to that and, and pick it up that quick is incredible. It sounds like the gospel of Daniel Espino and his freakish flexibility seems to be spreading through the low minors for guys that have pitched with him. And if that's going to be the case, I'm here for it. Yeah. He's another one. His, unfortunately he's been injured most of the year, but yeah, that's, that's a kid who's really in tune with his mechanics and his body and uh, his mind is years ahead of his, his body as well. So I, I, you know, you hope they can get the body feeling good again, but yeah, he is very meticulous with his routines and his stretching and, and how he takes care of himself. So I'd like to think that uh, he'll get healthy and back on track and it won't be an issue when he is. I just enjoy the Forrest Gump almost of like, why did you go running, Forrest? I wanted to run. Why? What do I wanted to start throwing harder? I started throwing harder. I don't. It's like I don't know. There's something simple about it that this is really, really endearing to me, and that's I. I just really enjoy that. That's his answer. You want to um, laugh and call BS at the same time, but be like, "Hey, man, right? You're like, you. just like keep doing really, you, right? It's that uh, Leonardo. I I chipped away everything that wasn't the David. It's like, okay, sure, whatever. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, the other guy I wanted to ask about, um, you and I, I feel like I was, I was watching your Twitter account because I kept, like, uh, checking to see uh, Joey, Cantillo, uh, Joey Cantillo, uh, I just lovingly call him Joey Cans just because he it feels like a like a mafia name, but uh, Joey, uh, Joey Cantillo uh, went MIA for like a month and a half. Uh, were you ever able to figure out any kind of information as to uh, what happened with him and what went why he went dark for as long as he went uh, between uh, appearances? Yeah, the. The sequence of events there got really, really bizarre. They, uh, Akron's manager told one of our reporters, John Elrod, um, that they were just going to skip because Cantillo was was in the rotation initially when everything was set up. And then he missed that start and they asked and it was, you know, hey, he's just going to miss the start. He should, you know, he should be back next time. Okay. Then it went a week and then it went two weeks. And yeah, by the time he made his next start in July, um, they just said it was, you know, arm care and rest and, um, you know, keeping him his innings under control. I mean, he only did throw 11 innings last year because he was hurt most of 2021 as well. And obviously, you know, didn't get a chance to pitch in 2020. So, yeah, he came back for that one start and they just said it was, you know, time to was arm care and just time off to kind of limit his innings. And then yeah, he pitched that one game and then now he's hurt again. And he went on the IL with shoulder soreness. So if you connect the dots, it kind of seems like either the shoulder was the issue before or the time off maybe and, and coming back, you know, affected the shoulder. It's, you know, could be one of those two things. It's it really bizarre because um, Akron's manager, Ruggie Odor, is, is really one of the best interviews among managers in the minors. Actually, a lot of them have been this year, but Ruggie Odor is a, a lifer and, and a great guy to talk to about baseball. And, usually pretty forthcoming. I mean, there's been issues this year or last year when George Valera was like dealing with something minor and he was just, you know, upfront about what it was. So I don't think he was being like intentionally vague or anything like that, but um, it was a really strange sequence of events. So either, either it was just rest and a way to limit his innings or the shoulder was barking and he came back and the shoulder hurt again, or the shoulder hurt because of the time off. It's, it's really hard to say whether uh, the chicken or the egg came first there. So correct me if I'm wrong. I think I remember reading somewhere. Cantillo is another one of those guys, or Cantillo. How do you say that, actually? Uh, it's Cantillo. It Cantillo. Is Cantillo. You just call him Joey Cans, and you avoid the whole thing. That's what. You yeah, do. you're right. All right. So correct me if I'm wrong on Joey Cans here, but I think I remember reading somewhere that he's another one of those guys that had a, maybe not necessarily as freakish, but is also benefiting from a, a velo spike this year. I think I saw he was sitting... 95 to 97 instead of 92, 93. Um, if that's true, is he possibly having some structural issues from suddenly throwing harder? Or is this just a, yeah, he's got 11 innings under his belt in two professional seasons and he just needs to slowly ease into it. 
I, I suppose any of that could be the case. I don't I don't think he's touched ninety seven this year. I think he's more he might maybe he touched ninety seven once if, if anything. I'm not sure he did, but um mostly he's been ninety two, ninety four, touching ninety five, ninety I think maybe ninety six. Previously, but before the Guardians got him when they were the you know the other team, um he was when the Padres organization, he was like 88, 90, 92. So yeah, he's definitely had the velo bump since he's gotten here. Um, no idea if, you know, he just wanted to throw harder and other guy wants to throw harder. I don't know if he necessarily was like, yep, we're going to do this. But um, yeah, he's, he's definitely firmly in the low nineties, you know, 90, like I said, 92 to 94 and hitting 95. So I don't know if, I don't think the sudden velocity has really been an issue for him because it's, it's been a gradual build. And he's he's got always had a pretty clean delivery and um yeah, I guess he's dealt with a couple of injuries over the last couple of years. You know, he had the core muscle injury last year. So I don't think it has anything to do with that structurally, but um you know, the Velo hasn't usually it's guys who like I remember Cody Anderson when he if you remember that name, he was uh what, two thousand and fourteen, two thousand fifteen, and he was like a guy who would throw ninety two, ninety three, and then he came back one off season. He was throwing ninety eight, and everyone's like, "Whoa, where did this come from?" And then, then he was hurt. So, I don't think it's uh, that extreme of an example there. But either way, it's it's definitely been disappointing because I was I was really enjoying watching him pitch this year. That struck such a chord with me. I was such a big Cody Anderson guy. Oh yeah. His, what, what was he? He won ten wins in his rookie campaign. I, I was convinced that dude was like the three of the future. And then just the way that fizzled out was so unfortunate. I was a big Cody Anderson guy. We were, I, think I we was were too. Like, he was. Go ahead. Oh, he was. I mean, I remember him from Lake County the first year we watched him pitch, and he was. He should have been a great, a great success story. And there were so many moments there because he was on that club with Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor in Lake County, and there were just so many cool things about that. And he should have been a success story, but um, yeah, what a bummer. I think he was the first guy that I remember being like, maybe he should go to the bullpen. And like, just because he had continually been hurt and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, it just never really panned out. So, if you, know. if you, if you're ever really, really bored, if you really have nothing else to do, if you ever go back and search my my name on Twitter and Cody Anderson, I will probably have a hundred tweets out there just standing for Cody Anderson that he is going to be an impact arm in some way, whether it was a starter or reliever. Like I. I didn't give up until they literally took him away. Like I, I was never going <laughs> to let that one go. It's your, uh, your nighttime bed toy. Like we have to wash the blanket. Leave me alone. Give it's an hour. You're fine. Yeah, I get it. Uh... History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Ethan, who did you, was there anybody that you wanted to ask about uh, prospect wise before we get to uh, our last segment of the evening? Yeah, this one's purely a, a correlation does not equal causation kind of ask, but there's been a lot of noise out of Milwaukee's farm system from one Jackson Chorio, who has skyrocketed up the top 100 list. He's Milwaukee's top prospect. I think he's in the top 20 now in the MLB pipeline. Uh, updated top 100 after the draft has been conducted. But 
I don't know how many of our listeners are paying much attention to the rookie leagues and the the Dominican summer league. His younger brother by Cleveland, uh, one Jason Churio plays in the Cleveland deep farm system. I think he's still down in the Dominican summer league and the numbers have been really, really impressive so far. I think he's only 17 or 18 years old. Um, I don't know how deep you dig into the farm system, but is that, you know, obviously you can't say based on his brother's performance, he's going to be a top 100 prospect, but is that family connection strong? Do you think there's a lot of love for Jason possibly coming up? I know he cracked the top 15, I think in Cleveland's top 30 rankings. Yeah, that's, that's going to be one that's coming fast. I think next year, I mean, they'll, they'll bring him stateside next year. And I think that's when you'll start to see a little bit of the helium. Obviously everyone's going to look at, at Jackson and what he's doing at such a young age. He is just a ridiculous prospect. It's, it's unbelievable, but yeah, I mean, you look at the bloodlines there and, and, you know, generally those things tend to work out. I know um, my buddy Jeff Ellis has like kind of looked and researched it. Like younger brothers, it, like you want to say, always end up being better than the old. Like look at Corey Seager. Uh, I don't know if you really can look at the Boons. That might be a good, bad example. I'm just trying to think, but I don't know. Younger brothers tend to have good success when they're, there's the bloodline there. I don't know. But younger. yeah, I think that's one that, yeah, yeah, the youngest. The youngest Molina is going to be the the first Hall of Famer of the three, even though the two were, you know, longtime big leaguers. So there's that something to be said for that for sure. That sound you heard was every Bo Naylor stand popping a bottle of champagne because we all yep. already love Josh. Wait till you hear about Miles. That, I know. I was <laughs> going to say that's all of us sitting here chanting "Draft Miles, Draft Miles, Draft Miles." Yeah. If yeah, well, his if if his helium takes off, he will not be there when Cleveland picks. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, Jason should be a fun one. I mean, he's walked more than he struck out. Um, there's like, you know, little, little itty bitty video out there. You can find on the depths of the internet, like checking Instagram and, and other areas like that. I know, I think baseball America's Ben Badler has a good beat over there, but um, yeah, the swing, the swing is interesting based off the grainy video that's available and he's walked more than he struck out. So uh, yeah, I think it's at least worth, you know, keeping an eyebrow raised and, and keeping a peek down there because he'll be stateside next year. And who knows that this is not a very aggressive organization in terms of assignment. Normally, you know, Bo Naylor, they always, they said with him, like, you know, he pushed us to push him. You know, he, he, we felt that he could handle the assignment because he showed us that. And, you know, Jackson's at high A at 18, you know, I guess they'll put Jason wherever they think he'll, be best fit for next year so if he if he proves that he's ready to be tested you know hopefully we see him at an affiliate sometime next year i i very much want him to be good because i just want to sing jason churio just because that's the type of person i am as previously mentioned i only call a guy joey cams because i don't want to pronounce his last name this is where i'm at this is the type of person that you have and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of the WFNY Cornercast, we're going to call it early tonight. I have to drive up to Northeast Ohio and strangle our host here. Hey, well, you put it on the you put it on the rundown, and that's how I read it in my head. I'm like, oh, Jason that's a Curio. you problem. There is nothing on the rundown other than his name that would lead you to that. That is nope, that's right purely away. a you problem. Oh yeah, no. It's, <laughs> We there's a there's a lot of things wrong with the brain up there, but yeah, that's that's one of them. So you could put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Breakingtea.com. I know you're not listening, but there you go. Another free. They idea still haven't made the Manuel Clase shirt. I really have I to email Harris. I and I, we need a Jason uh, Emmanuel Clase shirt. If they're and also be a, a sponsor, shirt. they have to listen to at least one a month. Right. Right. We give them yeah. free ideas. Right. We really do. If you, if you get them to put Jason Chorio on a T-shirt, I will, I will take your stock. I will take them to Lake County, and I will sell them all at games for you. Fantastic. <laughs> I will it, get that it train needs to like be, needs to be like, like spun out where it like has like the music notes on it. Jason Chorio. That'll be the one way I forgive you is if we start collecting royalties on that one. Get on it, Breaking Tea. <laughs> on it. I'm, we're gonna. Send an email to Harris as soon as I get off here. So, uh, all right. Last segment of the night, trying to finish out. So, um, obviously, we focus more on the big league club. 
And with the crunch that is happening at the top end of the farm system, uh, I think everyone, obviously, this is a first place team. So there, are, there is a like, how many more rookies are going to actually get the call this year? But um, I do want, there are names at the top of the uh, farm system that could potentially help uh, the Guardians into the playoffs. So uh, when can we expect, question mark, these for these people? Uh, and just as these are directed towards you, Ethan, obviously you can mention it, but um, uh, should Cody Morris already be here? <laughs> Is there anything more for Cody Morris to prove than, uh, than what he's doing right now? And when can we swap him for Eli Morgan? That would be a lot of fun. I guess the only thing he's really got to prove is can he stay healthy for an extended period of time, which could give you the sads. Because I was thinking about Cody Anderson. I'm like, don't don't let Cody Morris go the route of, of Cody Anderson. The stuff is phenomenal. Yeah, I think I think you'll see him in September. I think they'll get a shot. Um, I don't know if he'll you know be like a spot starter or he'll be a guy a bulk innings guy. I think they're going to be careful about. Innings, you know, I mean, you know, I don't think you'll see him back to back days. I don't think he's ever pitched back to back days, maybe early on in college, but he also had Tommy John. So I don't know. But um, if he comes up, you know, I think it'll be a guy who could pitch every couple of days and maybe give him a couple innings here and there. But, you know, maybe he'll earn his way more. I just think they'll be, they'll have to be careful about it because of his injury history. Yeah, they've been using him as a, as a bulk inning reliever, I think, actually in Columbus. So I don't know that he's getting any starts, but he's getting like three and four inning chunks at a time. So um, I don't know. He's just building up the pitch count, really. He's not – Yeah. he's he's only out to 50 pitches. I think they're just being judicious about where his pitch count is at this point. And, um, and he's still pitching every fifth day, so he's still on a starter's routine at the least. Right, right. And I, and I do think he's a guy that they're – I think with the injury that was early on this year, I think they're looking at maybe a 2023, uh, you know, substitute for Zach, please Zach or Aaron Zavale rather than putting him in a bullpen. But uh, a guy can, a guy can hope and Cody Morris being a, a bullpen arm with the action that he's seen in Columbus would, uh, would definitely help out the roster. So Ethan, anything that you wanted to mention on Cody Morris since I Mm -hmm. uh, probably cut you off? No, I I think if you would have asked me a month ago, where I, I stood on Cody Morris, I, I probably would have told you to pump the brakes simply because we knew he was still on the rehab path and coming back. He was actually the first prospect I wrote about when I joined WFNY. He was my debut piece, uh, talking about his potential to be Cleveland's swingman, which that role went to Eli Morgan. And based on how the season started, I had no qualms with Eli, but how things have gone the last month to six weeks where he's a, a two-pitch dog and guys are sitting 50-50 on the changeup and just clobbering it right now and i don't know if it's an unwillingness or a lack of confidence to throw the slider to really add another play and then start missing some bats to get back to prevalence i I think it's time to move on from eli at least in the short term let him go get right in columbus i think at this point cody only has between the arizona league rehab starts and columbus around 20 innings pitched so far on the year so I think if he does come up, he probably would be that fireman role, that two, three emergency innings. Maybe if you have to start Shaw uh, with the opener thing, he'd be your piggyback instead of Kirk McCarty uh, coming down the stretch. But obviously that's reliant on potentially somebody hitting the injured list again or just taking advantage of having the extra two roster spots once September starts. But yeah, I think Cody's got a real strong start to be here sooner rather than later. Uh, Fangraphs has him at 15. So unless he's pitched in the last couple, uh, last uh, day or so, uh, 15 innings pitched between uh, Arizona and Columbus this year. So out of the 27 outs he has recorded, he has 18 strikeouts. I'm just gonna, I will randomly just keep shouting how ridiculous he has been with the strikeout to out ratio. Um, I it's this is where I'm at. I it's one of it's small sample sizes, but I really enjoy those. So, um, next guy that I wanted to ask you, Justin, uh, Will Brennan. Um, obviously, we are we we have 
fights daily in our uh, private side Discord about uh, who should get be getting the starts of uh, Nolan Jones, Oscar uh, Gonzalez, Will, Will Benson, uh, who's going to be replacing Owen Miller at first base when Josh Naylor needs to have a breather. Um, so throwing another name into the mix is, is hardly a help at this point in time. But uh, when uh, when will... When will Will Brennan get a, a chance to uh, make his mark and show what he can do uh, with this ball club? Yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to find room for him up in Cleveland this year. I think it's more of a next year thing. And depending on how the offseason roster shakes out, I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to find room for him this year. So I, I think I think they really like him. I think I think there's some in the organization who – may even prefer him to George Valera in terms of what he can do all over the field. But Ooh. oh wow, yeah. That's, I, a, I, that's I, a spicy statement. Yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not saying like any there's guys in there pounding the table saying, you know, no, Brennan's better than Valera. I just think that there there's a skill set there they like that um makes him a more complete yeah. ball player player an I interesting can, choice. I I can see that with the way that they've been developing, I can see where Brennan would be a guy that they not necessarily prefer, but some in the organization I can see like with the contact profile a, over Valera. Yeah, it's it's a tilt for sure, but yeah, I I don't really know where the room is because we just talked about Cody Morris. You got to find room in the forty for him here soon, it, it, assuming we've got the rules figured out. I, I, talked to a lot of people over the last like week about rehabs and roster rules. And my mind has fried from it. Cause I don't understand all of it, but he's got to be back. I think at some point in September. So on, on the 40, so they already got to make room for him. That's one spot. And then we'll see where they go from there. So I, I don't know that they're going to be able to, to find room for him on the 40 man roster in, in 2022. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it, Maybe it's... next year. They're just there with the team being in contention the way that they are and already with the log jam at right field, first base DH that they have, I, I don't see a, a spot for them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, they've surprised before there's they've, they've made some surprising roster moves this year. So, I mean, you never know I, I didn't necessarily think we would see both Hunter Caddis and Xavier Curry this year, but we have. So, um, you know, and I guess Curry never pitched well for being Gaddis pitched what we kind of kind of thought that he might do, but Curry pit Curry held his own this week in that in that doubleheader. And mind you, it was against the Tigers on the on the second half of a doubleheader, but uh, that was that's still a, a big league lineup, and he uh, he he held his own. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Curry Curry is uh, a well poised kid. He is not afraid of anybody and he's very competent in his ability and uh, not afraid to go out there and attack. As as I mentioned that uh, on the public side, Bodie, Bodie has said that Curry was the first guy that uh, appeared through the pitcher's side that could be, in his words, a dude as opposed to just a guy. Uh, so the other guy that I think could be, um, and we lovingly referred to him as the one and only because there were two for a time. Uh, Logan Allen. Um, is there, and Meisel has mentioned him as possibly this year. Um, is he, uh, do you think that there's going to be some spot starts for Logan Allen through September or are we uh, looking at 2023 as well for him? I would have to think next year. I mean, I I wouldn't go against Zach Mize on, on anything, uh, obviously, because he knows a lot and, and is fantastic at what he does and good person. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they already have Curry. Unless they – well, they're not going to move on from them yet. It's just a matter like, of creating, uh, creating roster spots. I mean, okay, you've got Morris for, what, Kirk McCarty, and then you've got um, – Anthony Castro, that can create another roster spot. So I guess that's kind of the last one you're willing to play with is is Anthony Castro, unless there's anybody in the bullpen you want to shift from. But, I mean, everybody everybody in the bullpen has had their moments this year. Um, you know, even, I guess, even Brian Shaw. I don't know how reactionary that will get. But 
yeah, it, I don't, I don't, I have a hard time seeing it this year because he doesn't need to be on the 40 till next season. If he needed to be on the 40 this winter coming up, I would say yes, but because he doesn't need it for another year, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know, but again, never say never. Right. Last one. I didn't have in the rundown. Are we going to see Bo Naylor in September? I say yes. I can absolutely see a, a spot where after Columbus playoffs, he is up uh, just sitting and listening to Hedgie for a bit. But um, is is he going to make the big league club in uh, in September? I think if they can find room on the 40, that's, that's what I'm thinking is, you know, you add Curry and Gaddis to the 40, you got Morris back on, you still have Pilkington. So in theory, you have enough arms to get you through September and, you know, let the chips fall where they may for the postseason. If there's that one spot left they can play with, whether it's, you know, Castro or McCarty spot, um, to, to add one more person, I would I think logically that makes a lot of sense to let him kind of soak up a little bit in September with from from Hedges. They don't have they don't have one Maley's uh, arbitration eligible next season, so in theory they have control over him. Who knows if they'll go that route? But if they don't, they don't have anybody on the forty man roster catcher wise except for you know Lavastida and Naylor. You know, me I don't know if Lavastida gets that call. He's been better lately in Akron, I will say. Um, but I, I think if there's one way to go, I think Bo Naylor getting some September guidance, I think, and, you know, they, I, they're definitely going to add a third catcher. I think that's the way they always like to go is third catcher. So right. it's either going to be Naylor or Lavastida, but I, there, there may be just enough room to add Naylor. I think maybe I hate to give you such a waffle answer, but. Well, you just touched on it right there. And could it be humanly possible if this team is so. If, if the buy-in is so strong on Bo Naylor that, you know, they didn't consider moving Earth for Sean Murphy at the deadline and probably wouldn't do it again this winter, even though we'd have less control and Cleveland might have slightly more leverage, would they consider attempting to, to DFA and maybe reclaim Lava on waivers? Or is there still a lot of high regard for him around baseball as a potential catching prospect? I know he's a convert. So his receiving skills are a bit further behind, but we saw what he did with the bat last year. And I know he's down in double A right now, but yeah, recently he has been swinging the bat a lot better. So would that be a risk that the team wants to take, or are they just going to be slamming the door shut on me here? Ooh, that's a tough question. I, I don't, I, I'm fairly certain he would be claimed. I, I can't see a scenario where there are a lot of catching hungry teams out there in Cleveland, you know, in theory should be one of those. So I have a hard time believing they would make that move to clear a roster spot. They would really have to, you know, fall out of favor with, with Lavastia. They have to, he'd have some things have to go really sour. I mean, they couldn't believe they released Franmil Reyes the way they did. So um, I feel like they would have to have the same level of fallout with Brian Lavastia to do that. So I, I would, I would say the chances there are super slim because he is, he is not going to make it through waivers to get back to you. Yeah, Fran Meal is exactly why I asked that question, because I know we talked early on in the pod about not being overreactionary and wanting to move on, but just based on how he's gone from, yeah, he made the opening day roster, for what that's worth, he only started a handful of games or played in a handful of games, but to be down in double-A now simply based on trying to get him regular at-bats, it, it seemed like it felt fair to posit the question. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they've they've soured on him enough, or he, I don't know. They have at all, but I I have a hard time believing they're they've gotten to that point on him that they would not that they would consider losing him for nothing. I think that's that would be pretty extreme. Yeah, I wanted to mention if and, and I I thought about it like midstream through the podcast of that uh, Lava was down in Double A and how far he had fallen, but I think it's just the fact that Naylor has risen so well that he's in triple a and, and lava's down and in akron so um but yeah uh i think that about does it hey ethan justin you guys have anything else that you wanted to add for tonight before we uh, wrap it up i just want to say thank you justin for your time and your insight we here at wfny we we touch on the prospects and i i'd like to try and keep up with them as best I can. I don't always have my eyes on them. And on the podcast, we do have a tendency to speak purely in ceilings. So it's nice to get the insight of somebody who just has seen these guys, has spoken to them, 
So thank you for your time and really appreciate the extra insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope I uh, I made it better. I hope I didn't make it worse. And uh, trust me, I don't sleep. I mean, I don't. Uh, it's like I'm out here doing anything special. I just uh, I don't have a, a life outside of minor league baseball and <laughs> summers around. I and I don't sleep. So if everybody ever wonders how I watch all that, that not like any secret sauce that I'm good at. It's just lack of sleep and a life. Just constant, just constant plug in, just Matrix style, like cryo chamber. Uh, watching the games as as uh, as you sleep, so I get it. Uh, don't forget, guys, to to go out and follow Justin on Twitter uh, because uh, you should. Uh, it's JL underscore Baseball is his uh, Twitter account. So make sure you get out there, give him a follow, uh, check out his stuff over at GBI, and uh, yeah, we uh, we love having you, Justin. We'll probably uh, might uh, try to work something in with you guys with you maybe near the end of the year. Uh, at least definitely over the winter when stuff starts happening and, and trades start uh, forming and things like that. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Just want to say thank you again for, for coming and, and helping us uh, do a little bit of a deep dive into the farm system and, and get Ethan's uh, former nickname out for the week. So He will become a good grower, I think. He's doing a great job as a farmer. Yeah, tending his crops. Making care, make, taking care of his livestock, you know, all those things. So. They will grow. I'm right. ready to put my straw of wheat back in my mouth. I'll, I'll talk <laughs> to you guys later. All right. Uh, for Ethan, for Justin, for myself, uh, you all have a great night and uh, go Gardos. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.